0: Well, good morning, friends. So great to see each of you with us today. If we have not had the joy of meeting just quite yet, my name is Jordan. I hope before the day is over we can connect as I love to get to know new people and love to get to see what God is doing in and through the midst of our body. And if you are new with us, welcome. We love to go through books of the Bible here at PVC we are in the middle of the book of Ruth, actually at the end of the book of Ruth, so if you have your Bible, turn there with me, Ruth chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible, like at all, then there is a Bible on the pew back in front of you, and if you don't have one again at all, that is our gift to you, you take it and you use it because we love the Bible here at PVC, we believe it is the Bible that is God's Word, it is the Bible that when we open it, we're open the mouth of God. And so for you to not have a copy of God's Word, that's tragic. So we want to help you have that copy. Or if you just need one for today, then please take it as we're going to walk through this passage today. And Lord willing, we're going to land the plane. In the book of Ruth and we'll start the book of James next week so get your James ready and next week we will begin to walk through the book of James and uh, see what God has for us leading in to Easter well what a savior we have amen what a savior what a glorious savior it is that we have to worship to adore you know there are many words that will enter into your story if they have not entered into your story quite yet. Words like this. Forgotten. Lost. Abandoned. Rejected. Left out. Passed over. These words describe some of the human emotions that have occurred, will occur, or are occurring in your life right now. Again, forgotten, lost, abandoned, rejected, left out, passed over. You think about your parents, who left you, who abandoned you, who you needed a lot, and dad was too busy, mom was distracted, and you felt like your own parents left you. A spouse that walked out on you. You came home, you really thought you had something, didn't you? And now their conclusion is, I don't love you anymore. A parent, some of us in this room never got the joy of hearing our mom or our dad say, I love you. Parents, please tell your kids you love them. Please. Don't just show them, I'm glad you got a good job and you're providing for them, but tell them. They need to know they're loved. But some of you never got that and it hurts to this day. Others of you, uh, a child who wants nothing to do with you, right now. Maybe they're old, maybe they're gone, and you spent all those years and it wasn't good back there, and now every time holidays come around, a big thing comes around, they're nowhere to be found, and it hurts. Or maybe you see them physically, but emotionally, you guys are completely in two different planets, and it hurts that your own kid can't relate to you and you cannot relate to your own kid a boss who didn't give you the promotion. You worked so hard for it. Your colleague didn't seem to work as hard. It seemed like you were next in line. And when the promotion came, you got left out. A missed college opportunity. Some of you are floundering right now because you messed, in your mind, you messed the whole college thing up. And now, golly, I'm too old. I can't go back to school. What are they going to think of me if I do go back to school? And you missed college, you messed it up, and now you're hopeless and wondering, what is my career? What should I do? Or you went to college, it, 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 you got the degree, now the degree is not a, a giving what you thought that it would, and now you're back at square one, and that's hard, that's difficult. Or that, that feeling that you just feel alone, friend. You don't have any friends. You don't have anyone that really knows you past how you're doing. They don't really know how you're really doing. These things are really difficult. Difficult part of living in a sinful world. Sticks and stones hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. Many of us have been hurt by the hurtful words of so many other people. Many of us would have rather had the physical pain rather than the emotional pain 30 years later that we carry with us right now in this room. So as we wrap up our study in the book of Ruth, What you are going to find is that in the midst of pain and hardship and emotional baggage that two ladies in the narrative are experiencing, here's the good news, friends. God is still working, even in the midst of the pain. He's got a plan. He's got a good plan. And even the pain that you may be experiencing cannot cancel the good plan that he has for your life so much so that in this dynamic duo mother-in-law and daughter-in-law god actually uses their bitter circumstances to to connect Uh, 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 a human being that would be in the line of Jesus. And so you need to know that what you're going through currently does not have to define the full story of your existence, because God is up, always up to way more than you can see. So we need to talk about that today. But let's pray, and we're going to hop in. Our Father, we bless your name. Today, You are such an amazing father to us, your kids. Thank you that we did not become your kids through our own merits, but we rest right now in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, there may be some here today or watching online and They are resting in their good works, resting in church attendance, resting in baptism, resting in trying to be a, quote, good person, uh, resting in things they haven't done. And Lord, would you convince them today by your Spirit that none of that is going to work and their story is going to end eternally bad if they don't call upon the name of the Lord? and not just be saved, which is amazing news, but actually learn how to allow Jesus to sustain them and walk with them and love them and shepherd them. So, Lord, would you convince us today, again, again, that you are a providing God. Help us see that in the text today. We pray it for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Ruth it's a tremendously great short story 85 verses in the book of Ruth you can read it in about 20 minutes for some of us speed readers it might take you five or seven minutes but it's a short book with a massive impact it takes place in a very dark period in the life of the people of God called the judges The time of the Judges. And the time of the Judges is when the people of God had largely forgotten their God. And this is the phrase in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that was the state of the people of God during the book of Judges. Well, it's during that same period that we see God through the the characters in the story of Ruth 1, 2, 3, and 4. 4, we see that there is brightness in the midst of such darkness in the period of the judges. It's about a family, a Jewish family with a father named Elimelech, a wife named Naomi, uh, a, two sons, Milan and Kilion. And they leave Bethlehem, the house of bread. We called it the Costco of the ancient world. It's where everybody went to get their food. I was there yesterday. There's plenty of people there getting food. So it was the Costco and everyone was in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem had no food in it. And so they left and went to a godless country called Moab. And while they were there, Milan and Kilion, they scoped out two Moabite um, women and married them. Uh, Shouldn't have done it, but they did it. And the unthinkable happened while they were in Moab. Elimelech, dad, dead, Milan, dead. Kilion, dead. And so who's left? Well, Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. Naomi tries to tell him, I'm going back to Bethlehem because there's food in Costco again. The shelves are stocked, and so I'm going back. I got to eat. She told her daughter-in-laws, stay here, find you a Moabite man. There's no, no husband for you in Israel. Orpah listened and said, okay, I'll stay. Ruth, on the other hand, as a demonstration of the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, went underneath her mother-in-law's wing, literally, and this dynamic duo heads back to Bethlehem. When they get there, the people are like, oh, there's Naomi. And Naomi's like, no, 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 no. Don't call me Naomi, which means sweet. Call me Mara which means bitter. She said, because God's hand is against me. I went there, and I had a husband, and I had two sons, and now I come back, and all I have is a Moabite daughter-in-law. How good that must have made Ruth feel. But they come back, and when chapter 2, there's a, a principle for the poor in Israel that had no bread, they would, the, the, the people who own crops would harvest their grain, and then God told them, this is the kindness of God, God would tell them, leave some on the corners of the field so the poor can come and glean and gather that they would have something to eat. Well, Ruth and Naomi fit the poor category. Ruth finds out I'm the younger one. I can go do this. Naomi says, go. She goes. She gets food gathered up for them to eat. And the Bible says it just so happened that she was gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz. He was a mighty good man, a man of generosity, a man of kindness, a man of selflessness. And in chapter 3 into chapter 4, Ruth actually proposes to Boaz. And Boaz says, I will care for you. I will be your redeemer. In other words, I'll care for you. I'll also care for your mother-in-law. I'm going to make sure your family name goes forth, Naomi. At the beginning of the book, we thought Naomi's line's over. It's over because husband, gone, Elimelech, gone, sons, gone. So how are we going to keep the name going on? Well, God uses a Boaz, and let me remind you, single guys among us, don't discount a young lady if she has a lot of baggage that you're about to grab, too. Remember, you have baggage, too, right? But don't discount someone because they have some added burdens. God may want to use you, bro. He may want to use you to be a Boaz in the life of a young woman. And that's Boaz's story. And friends, um, what we find in the book of Ruth is a story within a story. For you literature nerds among us, I I would probably put myself there. Uh, This is called a nested narrative nested narrative. In other words, this narrative is nested into a bigger story, a bigger narrative. And this is when you read stories in the Bible, you have to always remember this story is meant to tell the bigger story of the Bible. And the big story of the Bible is God is saving people. And he is building a people for himself. And that is what every story is meant to point to the greater story. You will be a better reader, a better interpreter, and a better applier of the Word of God if you will read every story as a story within the story of God saving sinners and building a people for himself. You will avoid some really wacky interpretations of Scripture, if you will allow that to be a hermeneutic lens that you read the Bible through. And friends, our lives are also like that. Each of us are living right now a nested narrative inside the overall greater story of God's global story in the entire world. Ephesians 1.11, you should write this down, says that everything So, if you're a thing, you're included. Every thing is under the counsel of God's will. So, in an election year, you ought not panic. In any time of year, you ought not panic. Because God is actually moving world history to the climax, which is. Every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. That's that's where world history is moving. So when you get all shook up in your little nested narrative, calm down. Calm down. God is in control. And when it seems like the nations are putting their nose in his face, read Psalm 2. That'll help you sleep at night. Read Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 says that the Lord laughs. He laughs at world leaders who govern in a way that defame his name. He just laughs laughs at them. Now, thankfully, there is inside his laugh grace. Grace. Because God loves to save. He loves to save those who shake their fists in his face. And let me remind you, that used to be you. That used to be me. So don't look at other people and be like, they just need to get their stuff together. No, that used to be you. Don't ever lose your heart for people who don't know Jesus. And the way you do that is don't ever get over the fact that he would save someone like you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nobody does. If we got what we deserve, we're all going to hell. And yet God would save someone like you, someone like me. So, no matter where you find yourself today in your nested narrative, take comfort, dear friends. God has not forgotten you. He sees you. He understands what you're going through. He made you. He knows what makes you tick. He made those ticks. He has not forgotten you. In fact, would you say this with me? God, and everybody else, God has not forgotten me. I'll say it one more time. God has not forgotten me. He's not forgotten you, friend. As the old hymn says, if his eye's on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. He's watching you. He's got you. And this is what you're going to see today. As this story ends, he had these women in his hand. He got the whole world in his hands, but he's got individual image bearers in his hand too. Notice how God works in the midst of pain in the life of these two widows. But you say, Jordan, how? Number one, God provides a son is the first point. God provides a son for Ruth. He provides a son for Ruth. Notice 13. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. Notice the order. Then he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Please don't forget this. Ruth was infertile for about 10 years. Now, no modern medicine, so we don't know if it was her or if it was her husband, but either way, she's been infertile for 10 years. To be infertile in the time of ancient Israel was a number of things could have been going on. But what the narrator wants us to see here is that this infertility has been going on for 10 years, and now God has done the unthinkable in her life. Some of you in the room may be currently struggling with infertility. Some of you watching online, you may be struggling with infertility. In your past, you may have that in your back story, and that's painful. It's one of the most difficult things that God will ever ask anybody to walk through. But friends, verse 13 is the bittersweet providence of God because God is the author of life. And life begins, notice here, at conception, which is why we, as the people of God, must put our mouths and our dollars and our feet toward protecting life, watch this now, from the womb to the tomb. Often we think about the womb, and we should, but don't forget, 85-year-olds, 90-year-olds, four-year-olds they are precious to God and we should do within our God-given ability what we can to protect them as well to love them as well to minister to them as well and and I want you to remember this that although God has not provided in your infertility we can still say yet amen We can still say yet, and if it's ever going to happen, then here's the bittersweet providence of God. Only He can do it. Only He can do it. He may choose to never do it, and what I trust is is that His grace will be sufficient for you through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, and through the people of God comforting and helping walk you through that. But I want to tell you something, friend. Let me remind you that to be truly pro-life, To be truly pro-life means no abortions, period. That's what it means to be pro-life. It's not popular, but I'm not interested in being popular. I'm interested in being biblical. And the reality is to be and protect life is to say that in order for a life to happen, God had to make it happen. And for you to get in the way of what God is doing is to shake your fist in his face and we should graciously, winsomely, and very articulately be able to defend a biblical hermeneutic to this entire issue. Now, the reason I bring this up is that's in the text. In the conception here that's taking place, only God could do it. So, the author here um, puts the fact that Ruth has not conceived squarely on the shoulders of God. And if you're here today, God is intimately aware of these things. But please don't measure God's faithfulness to you on one frame in your entire reel. Your life is a reel. And don't measure God's faithfulness on the frame you're in. Or, to think about it a different way, don't measure God's faithfulness based on the chapter you're in. Measure God's faithfulness on the entire work of His story in your life. To think it even bigger. Don't measure God's faithfulness based on your story. Base God's faithfulness on His story. The fact that He is a God who in Scripture over and over again and the life of His people provides for them. When there's times you don't believe that God is faithful, get your Bible out. Bro. Get your Bible out, sister, and, 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 and shoot back. Get your shield of faith up And stand on the reality of the Word of God, not your subjective feelings. Feelings, they will go away. Like heartburn, it'll go away. Just let it pass. And the way that God will strengthen you is that when you are going through a challenging time, hang your hat on the Word of God. Now, furthermore, notice the order here. It's love, marriage, then a baby carriage. See that? Our cultural moment says this love baby maybe marriage love baby maybe marriage so please note this going into this is talking about the marriage chamber whereby a chamber will be prepared by the husband and the spouse for them to consummate the marriage for the little ears in the room through the act of marriage we'll call it and the act of marriage took place after the marriage and then after the marriage and, and then the act of marriage. Now here comes baby Obed. You notice the order there. You might say, well, Jordan, um, that's not my story, man. That, mine is way convoluted. I, I, I don't share in that. Well, recommit yourself today to walking, and sexual purity. If you're in the room and you're dating, do do what you got to do to set up boundaries, not just to guard yourself physically, but to guard your your mind and your heart and invite people in that love you and want to see you excel in purity and say, would you pray for us? Would you hold us accountable? Will you ask us how we're doing so that we will be honoring to God in how we relate to one another in our time of dating toward a marriage toward a baby carriage and if you need help with that email me email me I don't have all the answers but I do know someone who does and your sexual brokenness doesn't have to define your story but you gotta make some decisions, brother or sister, to put put, put 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 a hard stake in the ground and say no more. And then you gotta do what you gotta do to set up boundaries. And I'm just telling you, there's no shame with me. I recognize that if it weren't for the grace of God in my life, there's no tellings where I would be on so many different levels. Anybody else? So, there's no stones to throw from me. I just want to help you because I know how incredibly important it is, not only to God, but to your own well-being and your own pursuit of the God of the Bible. Um, but commit this day. And, and even if last night, this is, this is a, this, something happened, repent today. Call it what it is, sin, today. And watch this, receive God's forgiveness, friend. And then reject the condemnation of the devil that he wants to say, there's a period on your story. When God says, there's a comma, we're going to move forward from here. But you got to do what you got to do to walk sexual purity. Somebody say, amen. amen. So God is working, friends. And this couple, he's working, even in their pain, he's working by providing a son. Now remember, Mary, Naomi was a very bitter mother-in-law, very bitter. And then God warmed her heart. He used Ruth. And now the ladies who initially said, is this Naomi? Remember when she came back? She must have been so broken and so head down that they were like, I I don't know if that's her. Now these same ladies come around her and they want to bless her. I want you to notice the second point. God provides a redeemer. A redeemer, notice, for Naomi. Notice 14, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Now, if you have been not been with us, Boaz is the Redeemer, but this passage is not talking about Boaz the Redeemer, it's talking about baby Obed the Redeemer. This child is going to be a blessing in the life of Naomi. This mother-in-law who said I lost it all. God's going to use baby Obed to show her. No, 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 no. You're fools, daughter. I got you, daughter. Notice, and may his, Obed, may his name be renowned in Israel. That's quite a goal for a baby, isn't it? It's a really high bar. Some parents have more modest goals for their children, like may he pass middle school. Um, May she be a productive citizen in society. Um, May they stay out of jail. But this baby has high standards. May his name be renowned in all of Israel. And oh, will it. Notice 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. This baby is going to nourish Naomi. This baby is going to provide Naomi's basic necessities. Uh, This baby is being used by God to lift Naomi's countenance, to restore her. To enliven her. Do you see how much God cares for Naomi here? Again, you may be in a bitter moment right now, but just remember you're not holding on to the Lord. He's holding on to you. Keep asking Him for grace to believe that and watch Him warm your heart over time. And then notice, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you. Notice this who is more to you than seven sons, seven being the number of completions, says it doesn't get much better than having seven sons because you've got seven sons that will carry on your name seven times. And yet she says, this is better. This is better than having seven sons. Notice Obed's has given birth to him. Then Naomi, 16, took the child, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Now, what this means is this is not your typical grandmother-grandson relationship. Ruth is essentially giving her baby to her mother-in-law. Now, not permanently, certainly not legally, but offering, say, here, you nurse him. The tenderness here of God through Naomi, I mean, through Ruth to Naomi, Continues to be something to marvel at. Now we don't know how long this went on, but it seems the text is saying pretty well after baby Obed came out of the womb, she he he is in the arms of Naomi. Very selfless. Remember, Naomi said, "I'm empty," and now she has her arms filled with with Ruth's kindness. Uh, Daughter-in-laws in the room, please take note the selflessness. Of caring for your mother-in-law, and I'll just not get myself in a hole and say anything else, but let that bake you, set on you. This is a very selfless woman. You say I don't, you don't know my past with my mother-in-law. I don't, but God does, and He's always calling us to walk in hased tender love toward them. So God provides a son for Ruth. God provides a redeemer for Naomi. And so track this. Through a barren widow, Ruth, God provided a husband, Boaz. Now a son, Obed. Now through an old and bitter widow whose family line is on the verge of distinction, God provides a grandson, Obed. And now God through this baby is providing for a nation. That's the third point. God provides a king. God provides a king for Israel. Notice 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Now, this is a very unique instance. Women usually don't do this, but this is a unique story. The women gave the name and said, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, the book of Ruth is not just about two desperate widows. The book of Ruth is actually about a desperate nation. It's about a nation that is on the verge of extinction. If you go back and read the book of Judges, I encourage you to do so. Chapter 21, what it will say over and over and over and over and over again is there's no king in Israel. The name Elimelech means my God is king. So when you read Ruth chapter 1 and you meet this man named Elimelech, you have to be thinking, oh, maybe maybe he's going to be a king. Well, he died. He blew it. He he, he wasn't the one to rescue the nation, but Obed, notice, he will be the grandfather of David. So, in the middle of the dark time, God is working, not just to take care of widows, but to preserve his own nation so that Israel's greatest king one day, David, could come. See, Obed, if you want to write this down, is short for Obadiah, Obadiah means servant of the Lord, and this little baby will grow up to be a servant of the Lord. We'll see that in just a moment. So God provides a redeemer for Ruth, a son for Naomi, a king for Israel. Finally, God provides the Messiah, the Messiah, 18 to 22, the Messiah. This is talking about for the world. Now, 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, if you're from Texas, Salmon, Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, it's easy to sleep on a genealogy, okay? It's easy to... And that's the key for some of you to wake up. But it's easy to sleep on a genealogy. But if you sleep on a genealogy, you you miss a whole lot of good stuff that's in here. I'm not going to walk through each of these names, but I just want you to see that this genealogy that ends here, it actually picks back up in the book of Matthew chapter 1. And this is why we did the book of Ruth for Advent, by the way. We did it for Advent because this was going to be like a, a, a golf ball teed up on, you know, to just blast down the fairway during Advent to say, this was always about Jesus. This was always about Him. This was always about God preserving a line so that we could have a Savior. But if you read the book of Matthew chapter 1, you will see this genealogy pick up. So you should write in your margin, like at the bottom if you write in your Bible, just write, see Matthew 1. And you'll, when you read that, you'll always be reminded, oh, yeah, this is also in Matthew 1. Now, this reminds us as we close here that history is His story. History is His story. History is God's story. And so watch this now. History is not one awful event happening after another that's going nowhere, History is not one hard, painful thing after another that has no purpose, has no plan, and one day is just going to crash. No, history is His story. It is God's story that He is writing, ultimately, that will be consummated when Jesus Christ comes and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to God the Father. And for all of eternity, Revelation 22:6 we will worship the root of David, the root of David. We will worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So every time you see something happen, just remember, history is his story. Three implications of this reality. Number one, Jesus came. Jesus came. I want to show you a little bit of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, um, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, notice, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, David and Abraham are the giants in Israel's history. Jesus is the descendant of David, Israel's greatest king. Now, if you go on to verse 17, there on the screen, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So, 14, 14 so all I want you to take note is is history is God's story in the sense Jesus came it is a historical fact it is in record books that whatever you think about Jesus in this room whether you think he's a lunatic or a liar or lord either way he came Jesus came second of all Jesus saves there's good news all throughout this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 four women to note four women to note in the genealogy, four women I want you to take note of in Matthew chapter 1. Not going to turn there, but the first woman I want you to note is, these are women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Tamar. Tamar verse 3, I don't have it there on the screen, through incest with her father-in-law gives birth to Perez, who's in there, and Terah. Go read it, Genesis chapter 38. The second woman that you think would not be hanging out with Jesus, Rahab. Verse 5, Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Now, who was Rahab? A prostitute. A prostitute who spared God's people during a real pivotal time in history. Again, Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Remember that. Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Third woman, our sister Ruth. Verse 5, she's an ethnic Moabite, and yet she's in the lineage of, of the people of God. The Moabites are historically the enemies of God. Why would, she be in the, the, why would she be in the genealogy of Jesus and fourth of all Bathsheba? I think we all know her, right? The wife of Uriah, the Hittite, verse 6 of Matthew 1. She's brought into the family line, how? By adultery and murder. These are four women that you think would not be in the genealogy of Jesus. Men, women, prostitutes, liars, murderers, Jews, Gentiles. Now, the question I have for you is, why in the world would Matthew start his gospel like that? Well, very simply, you should write this down. The family Jesus came from anticipates the family he came for. The family Jesus came from anticipates the family he, he came so, let me tell you something. These people in Matthew 1, if you're a Christian, this is your family heritage, full of murderers, liars, addicts, cheats, all people that have a story that's ugly, and yet God has redeemed us, has He not? He has saved us. He has written a new story for us. So, this, these women give evidence that Jesus came to save sinners. This is our family, and let me tell you something. You can just add your name in that list, Jordan, the whatever, Tom, the whatever, Dan, the whatever, Joanne, whatever, Matt, Chris, the whatever. We all have a yesterday, and yet because of Jesus, we stand fully loved and forgiven and chosen and accepted, and we have a bright future because we have been redeemed. Now, I want you to notice 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But, verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She, 21, will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. By the way, Jesus is the New Testament equivalent to Joshua, so deliverer, for he will save his people from their sins. And friends, Jesus' very name means God saves. His name matches what the angel says here. Call him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to be a savior. He's going to save his people from their sins. Now, how will Jesus do this? Well, the rest of the Gospel of Matthew will show us. If you're here today and you're kicking the tires on Christianity and you're trying to figure out what all this is about or you're watching online, just keep going from here. Just keep reading Matthew 2 and 3 and 4 all the way to the end of the narrative. Ask God to reveal Jesus to you. Ask God to do that, and we trust that He will. That's what you should do. So, history is... God's story and the fact that Jesus came, Jesus saves, and finally, Jesus sustains. So, Jesus is not a get out of hell free pass. He's not fire insurance, as some people like to call it. He's not your get out of hell free pass. No, He is your sustaining Savior, He is your shepherd. He's going to take care of you. You're in His flock. He's going to walk with you. He's going to sustain you. In the hardest of moments, He's going to say, I'm with you. I'm not moving an inch. Anything He asks you to do that's really hard, He's going to say, and I'm standing right here beside you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to look to me. So in the book of Ruth, what I want you to see and I hope you've seen today is God has not forgotten us. Amen? He's not forgotten us. And if you, don't, if you doubt He's forgotten you, just remember the book of Ruth because in the book of Ruth, it shows that God has a good plan in the midst of a really, really bad time. But as you read the, the, the gospel of Matthew, what you learn is, is that Jesus is sustaining you. In verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the book of Matthew brings up Emmanuel in chapter 1. And then when you go to chapter 28 and verse 20, at the end, it's like a bookend. Book into the Book of Matthew. It says, "Jesus, and behold, I am with you. How often? Always. Always, to the end of the age." Friend, I want to tell you something that the North African Church Father Augustine he said it well when he said this: um, "You have made us for yourself, O oh Lord." Did you know you were made for God, friend? He made you for Himself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You were made for God, to love Him, to honor Him, to worship Him. But your sin has gotten in the way of that. And so you don't not only see God correctly, you don't look in the mirror and see yourself correctly. Only when you see God for who He is can you see yourself for who you are. And that is a a desperate sinner who is in need of a Savior, who needs to be made whole again, who needs to be forgiven and loved and rescued and given purpose and meaning and value and positive reality for the future. See, the book of Ruth, friends, it's a great story. But remember, it's a story that's a pointing story. It's pointing to God. It's pointing to God the Savior, The Apostle Paul would put it this way, Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and six. because you are sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave. Somebody say amen. amen. But a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, my friends, Boaz was quite a redeemer. Amen? He was quite a redeemer. David, he was quite a king, but they pale in comparison to our redeemer. They pale in comparison to our Lord Jesus Christ, for Jesus is the only one in the God-man category. Jesus is the only one who was sinless, which means he's the only one who could save sinners like you and I. On David's best day and on Boaz's best day, they're still sinners. That's never said about Jesus. Jesus prayed a lot of prayers, but he never prayed a prayer of confession because he never sinned. And then he dies on the cross for the very ones that put him there, the sinless one for the sinful ones, to bring us into the family of God and friend, when you come into the family of God, as this text says, the Spirit of God comes in you and He gives you a new posture in relating to God. You, you now relate to God as Abba, Father, my intimate Dad. Now, we've got to be careful with that. We don't ever want to discount the fact that God is holy. We never want to diminish Him into a glorified man. But the reality is there's a posture that we relate to Him by that it's intimate, it's fatherly, it's tender, it's caring, it's loving, and all that is a benefit to you as a bloodbought child of the living God, who the Holy Spirit has put in your heart, Abba, Father. I want to challenge you, dear friend, this week. Call out to Abba. Call out. Say, Abba, Father. What that means is, Father, I love you. Father, you love me. Abba, Abba, Abba. And we close with this statement. Christ came that we may know God as Father and one another as brother and sister. If you're looking to be saved, only Jesus can do it. If you're looking for identity, it's found in Jesus. If you're looking for a family, it's found in Jesus. If you're looking for a fellowship where people who have blown it have come together to make much of Him, in Jesus you have it. See, God came ultimately so that you and I could have Him, God as our Father, and we could relate one to another, not as Browns fans and people like this food or people like that food, but before anything else, before I'm, I'm your pastor, I'm your brother. Because in Christ, we've been made a family. Friends, this is good news. This is good news. May God seal these truths in the book of Ruth into our believing hearts. And may we walk forward in God's has said his love toward him, but also toward one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we read it, we learn of this hope and this peace that is found in the gospel. I pray that your truth, O oh God, would strengthen our faith in your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that your hope would lift someone's spirit today, someone who came into this building today, and God, they're, they're, they're down, their countenance has fallen, and they think, God, that you have forgotten them. Would you remind them through the narrative of Ruth that, God, you do some of your very best work in our most difficult times. So, God, would you give someone the faith to believe that today, that you're working even in the midst of the pain. And, Lord, for those who are in this room who have never called upon God to be their father through calling upon the Lord Jesus to save them Lord would you enable someone to do that would you cause someone as your word says to be born again would you help Lord us as a congregation all of us as we saw in this text Boaz and Ruth are a picture of purity I pray for purity in our dating relationships purity in our lives purity in our thought life purity in these ways God that we would see that your word says that we should flee from sexual immorality, that we should walk in a way that is pure before you. I pray, God, for someone who's in the battle right now and they're fighting with all they got and they're losing that battle. Lord, give them the grace to let down, quite honestly, Lord, their pride and be able to tell someone, I am struggling in this area and I need help. I need prayer. I need encouragement. I need accountability. Thank you, Lord, that you've given your, your church, brothers and sisters in Christ, a foretaste of glory divine because you've put your spirit into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. Finally, Lord, we pray. As we leave the book of Ruth for now, remind us, above all else, of your great love for us. In Jesus, modeled in the life of Ruth, modeled in the life of Boaz, ultimately modeled in the baby that Obed would grow up to be. Lord, this is all about you, Jesus. It's all about Jesus being revealed in the scripture. Help us feast on your word in the week ahead and do it by your strength. We pray in Jesus' name.